Hi, my name is Pauline, and I'm a volunteer here at the Recovery Radio Network. Did you know that last year people logged into Recovery Radio more than 600,000 times and listened to over 875,000 hours of recovery? Please help us continue this mission of service to the recovery community by donating to our cause. Fire up your computer. Go to recoveryradio.net and click the Donate button. It's that easy. I loved it. What an example. That's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And when my second sponsor didn't get another sponsor, I stayed with her way too long. But I liked the group, and they were my age. And But I learned what I needed to learn, and then her and I started having differences of opinion on alcohol and drugs and sobriety, and I moved on. And uh, I got another lady that was involved in service. Each time I have changed sponsors, I have stepped up to somebody that was more active than the last one I had. Okay? And I had that lady in my life for 18 years. And uh, it got to the point that she had outside interest in Al-Anon and... Uh, I didn't have a piss off at her or anything, but it dawned on me that her answering machine was sponsoring me. Or her husband. He'd answer the phone. And I'd leave messages for her through him or the answering machine. And, and at 25 years in the program, it dawned on me I didn't have a sponsor. And Octavia in Texas was at our 25th anniversary uh, celebration in uh, Octavia said, you will have a sponsor on Monday, on Sunday. And you will call me and tell me who that is. Now, I didn't know whether to, because when you get time in this program, it's hard to find someone with more time than you to sponsor you. And so I had two ladies in mind. I had Jean Kissel and her family was um, family speakers when we were newcomers in this program. And uh, her family was still all involved. The kids, the grandkids were going to Alateen. You know, her husband's sober in AA and believed in AA like Keith believes in AA, that narcotics are not a part of sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. And Jack believed very strong in that. In fact, he died sooner from cancer than he would have because he wouldn't take drugs or chemo or radiation or any of that kind of crap. He died within three months after he found out he had it because he said, I'm going to die sober. It was more important for him to die sober than to live longer loaded. What an example. What an example of recovery. And then there was this other lady, uh, Miriam Lemke, Bob Lemke's wife, and, and her and I had a great relationship, and we'd go to the Al-Anon Convention, and, and our traditional thing to do was to uh, have lunch together after the Al-Anon Convention every year and take everybody's inventory that had been on the committee. And uh, we laughed and told jokes, and, and I really was attracted to Miriam's program. And she knew how to deal with me with humor. And so I was in this dilemma, because they both knew me when I was a newcomer. But I chose Jean because of the family recovering that she had in her life. And they had helped us as a family, whether they knew it or not. 
in, uh, that's like when Simone was the Alateen chairman of Southern California Convention, uh, the lady that was the Alateen sponsor for them was one of Jean's sponsorees. And Simone told this gal that she wasn't going to do something with that part, her part of the convention because she didn't have to. And so that gal went and told Jean, and Jean went into the Alateen room. And she said, Simone, you can't do that. It's breaking traditions. And Simone says, I'm going to tell you my mother. And Jean goes, you go ahead. Bring her on. And so I made the decision that I was going to ask Jean Kissel to be my sponsor. And I prayed about it a lot because I love both of those women. Three months after I made that decision, Miriam Lemke died. Did God pick the right sponsor for me? Was I plugged in to the power when I made that decision? I think so. Were my motives right? I think so. And she's still my sponsor today. So I'm coming up on 10 years of sponsorship with her. Do I tell her everything? Absolutely. With almost 35 years of recovery, there isn't one thing going on with me that my sponsor doesn't know about. How many times a week do I talk to my sponsor? At least three. Two is a minimum. Because like Keith talked about, I'm not going to play catch-up. And I don't call her and say, well, I'm doing stuff. And uh, the thing that she told me, thank you, the thing that she told me, and there's a question in here about it, uh, when I asked her to be my sponsor, she said, I have one requirement for sponsorship. And I said, what is that? And she said, loyalty. And I said, what does that mean? She said, it means that you have asked me to sponsor you, and you will have loyalty and respect for our relationship and for the program of Al-Anon. Now, you want confidentiality on my part. I expect it from you, too. And there was a time that I repeated to somebody something that Gina told me, and she called me on it because they had questioned her. And she called me and she said, you call that lady and make amends and tell her that that was something that I shared with you confidentially and, and you passed it on and it became gossip. And you call her and make amends to her for that. Shit. Now I'm talking over 25 years of recovery and I'm being humbled like that by my sponsor. Did I fire her as my sponsor? No. You know why? Because she's right and I was wrong. It doesn't matter if my sponsor pisses me off. I've been pissed off by the alcoholic many times and didn't get a divorce. So just because a sponsor makes me angry doesn't mean I'm going to switch sponsors. It probably means I have a good sponsor. Because if she was people-pleasing me, I wouldn't be growing. And that goes to one of the questions that Keith read. Should you point out things that you see somebody doing? Absolutely. And I totally believe that sponsorship is being watered down in this program, especially in Al-Anon. How do you tell when you need to uh, let go of a sponsoree? When you start arguing with them, when they're debating everything you say. That's not a good relationship. I'm not going to fight with people I sponsor. 
I pulled a girl's covers the other day on something that she did. I asked her to do a simple thing for me, and she expounded on it to promote herself. And when I pulled her covers on it, I figured she wouldn't call me for a while, that she'd pout and all that kind of stuff. And she sent me an email and said, I owe you amends. And I was so grateful for that. She heard it. She goes, I don't know what's going on with me, but I do feel different, and I know my egos. Now, if neither one of us would have said anything about that, resentments would have grown on my part. And I can't sponsor somebody I resent. I can't sponsor somebody I try to dominate either because they'll end up hating me. One thing I was told five years ago by a long-timer in this program is somebody that I sponsored that turned on me big time. I said, I don't understand. I, I, we did everything for them. You know what she told me? Maybe you did too much. Boy, did I hear that one. And I've backed off. The ladies that I sponsor get to let their ass hit the pavement every once in a while. And I watch them do it and skid and get, get rug burns and all kinds of crap. Because sometimes that's the only way we learn. And I'm willing to let somebody come to me and say, why didn't you tell me? And I said, I did. But you just couldn't hear. What did you learn from that? What did you learn from that? And, uh, and it's one hell of a deal. And like Keith said, our growth in the program is in sponsorship also. I don't sponsor the way I used to. I'm not as dominating a sponsor as I used to be. And I don't, somebody said, how do you keep from having expectations of people you sponsor? Jesus Christ. We're all here because we're not all there. You think you're going to get somebody that's well to ask you to sponsor them? (laughs) It goes back to my favorite question. How important is it to get a sponsor if you have a year? Oh, I got a year, man. I'm fine. I'm I'm doing good. I got spiritual muscles. I don't need a sponsor. You know. I love that one. You need a sponsor and you got a year. Why are you here? Why are you here? You don't need nothing. You don't need anybody. When I don't need anybody, I'm having a major slip. Major slip. I talked to Simone yesterday, and she was so angry because one of the ladies she sponsors that has time, over 20 years, son, got arrested for dealing drugs. Now, a bunch of the other ladies that she sponsors is over at this lady's house consoling her and helping her find the right attorney to defend her son. Oh, Jesus Christ, sounds to me like Italy's having a huge slip. And she goes, absolutely. I called my sponsor and said, i got to be up my butt. And I go, what's that mean? She goes, I want to sting somebody big time. And I go, go for it, Simone. It's your day to do it. <laughs> we don't console people when they do something wrong. We let them hit the pavement. And then we're there when they stand up and say, hey, sponsor. And sometimes, who was it used to talk about that hole? There's a big hole in front of the door. You say when you walk out the door, you go around the hole. 
Jack Sullivan. And he said, you tell people when you go out that door, there's a big hole out there. Some people walk around it. Some people jump over it. And some people just flat-ass fall in it. they got to find out for themselves. It's kind of like raising a teenager. When Simone was a teenager, she'd say, Mom, I'm getting ready for school. What's the weather like? It's raining outside, Simone. She'd go open the door. I'd go, what do you think, I'm lying? So sponsoring people is like raising a teenager. Because our mentality is that we're so immature. We're so immature. A girl called me the other day. I have a friend, and she wants me. She's mad because I changed the time. Her and my other friend, they're both normies, and they were coming over at so-and-so time, and I was going to fix them lunch, and I changed the time, and the other one couldn't do it at that time. She called the other girl, and she bad-mouthed the other girl, and, and now she's mad at me. And I, I go, whoa, 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 whoa. This sounds too much like high school shit to me. I ain't going there with you. I don't, I really don't care what you do with people like that. They're really not friends. And the same way with a sponsoree. If a sponsoree, I told a lady I sponsored this morning, let go of her, walk away from her. Every time you say something to her, she debates it with you. Pray to God. And ask God to give you the courage to let her go. Tell her to be on her way. Because she's dragging you down. And that's what alcoholism wants us to go. That's where it wants us to go. And it will use anybody, even a sponsoree, to take us down. Now, if we're not strong enough to combat that disease in someone we sponsor, we shouldn't be sponsoring them. And I said, you're good at attracting newcomers. Go for the new people. You don't need these people that are debating stuff with you. Let go of them and go for the newcomer. Which takes me to the point a lot of you ask about questions that are going to be answered in this paragraph, the big book on page 108, working with others. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. You are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. One of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says that if he had continued to work with him, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. Which reminds me of Bill Wilson saying to Lois, this thing's not working. I have 12 stepped and tried to work and carry this message to a 100 men, and nobody's sober. And Lois says, oh, yes, there is, Bill. You are. And so it's uh, sponsorship is a very delicate thing. What are we doing? One of the things I want to uh, talk about real quickly with Sue is uh, we sponsor couples. We have sponsored couples. I sponsor the guy. She sponsored the lady. And uh, a lot of places, that's not healthy. A lot of places, they don't do that. There's people that don't. We're, we're a pretty much of a family group, and so it, it has been something that we've done. 
and uh, we've done it over the years and, and gone through all the games where I had, uh, where I sponsored a guy and his wife uh, asked Sue to be her sponsor. Why, uh, he would call me and say, have you heard anything about me? <laughs> you know, like, no, I really haven't. <laughs> Not that I'd repeat to you anyway. <laughs> but the games, the games that people play, and this has helped Sue and I with our relationship by uh, trying to help other uh, couples why we've learned things. We see things in ourselves. The important thing to understand is that uh, uh, when we say we'll sponsor someone, we stick with them as long as we can. I mean, that, the, the But our time has a lot to do with that. When you're newer in the program and you have somebody pulling you backwards as a sponsoree and you don't have that much time in the program, let go. Let go. You can't be. You can only be dragged back so far. You have to be in the program and an alcoholic be sober long enough to recognize that they've taken. You've taken the second step when you're dealing with a newcomer, or even I have people that have uh, 10 years or 20 years sober off in another part of the country come to me and say, "I'm 20 years sober and my life's unmanageable. I need help. Will you help me?" And I've tried to do that, and I can't unlearn 20 years of stuff that they've learned over there that makes them crazy. Uh, most of the guys that I sponsor in this group were initially sponsored by somebody I sponsored who left the program. They left the program, and you were getting information from a person who was leaving the program. I could see that they were leaving the program, but you had them as a sponsor. And when they leave the program, I mean, walk away from AA, and you say to me, will you sponsor me, you have some years of bad information that this person's been giving you, and, and you have to unlearn that before I can help you. That's why you change sponsors. You've got to go through the steps all over again, in my opinion. And one of the questions is, what if it seems like the person you are sponsoring is dragging their feet on the steps? What are they here for? This gal told me today, this one girl said, well, I'm here in Al-Anon because I need the fellowship. I don't need recovery. Sayonara. Go to PTA. The fellowship is important. The fellowship is important. That's why we have a home group. We have a home group that has fellowship. And, and people can see each other. We do things together. We eat together. We pray together. We share together. The ultimate thing, when people want to think, well, I have a personal life, and, and it really doesn't concern you. It doesn't concern your sponsor. I, I understand you have personal life. But the thing that Sue and I have worked for through sponsorship and through the step is that we really don't have any secret. We don't have anything going on in our life that we can't tell a sponsor. Or you. Or you. We don't have secrets from anybody in this room. And if you're sitting there and you got things going on and you don't want to tell anybody about it, then you're not there yet. I understand you're not there yet and you don't want to talk about these things. But the idea is to understand you are trying to get there. You are going someplace. That's the purpose of the sponsorship is to help you go someplace where you don't have secrets, that you, you're not lying, you're not deceiving anybody. You're never going to be perfect. But you constantly need to be changing. You're either going forwards or backwards. When I'm sponsoring someone and I get my feelings hurt, I have to work a ten-step with that and take it to my sponsor. That's why I have to have a sponsor to sponsor people. 
Because the people I sponsor are going to upset me. The people I sponsor are going to disappoint me. The people I sponsor are going to get loaded. I did an inventory a few years ago by design of my sponsor. She told me to do it. And I did an inventory on everybody I sponsored then. And as I went through that with my sponsor, she goes, why are you hanging on to that person? They're not doing anything. You're enabling them. Did you ever think they might grow if they had to walk away and you say, I can't help you anymore, get another sponsor? Do you think they might grow if they got a new sponsor? And you know what? I let go four girls, and you know what? They have grown. And you know what else? They're my friends today, and I'm not responsible. And that's one of the things that when Keith was reading that thing in the book about it's suitable, you know, does a prospect or a newcomer, you know, do you know if they're ready for AA or ready for your group or whatever? Are they suitable to be in the group or in Alcoholics Anonymous or Al-Anon or whatever? Well, one of the things we got to remember is when we're looking at somebody that we want to help sponsor them, we do not become responsible for them. Right. I'm your sponsor, but I, I'm not responsible for you. You cannot make your sponsor responsible for you or you will end up hating them. One of the things that I am responsible for as a sponsor, and this is important, it's important for me to sponsor people so I do this. There's a question, how can I help people I sponsor get more involved in service? The one thing I understand about me and I sponsor people is that I pay attention to them and I see what their good qualities are. Mm -hmm. Every one of us have a good quality. We have a God-given talent. The greatest thing about sponsorship is to take someone who's broken and busted and nurture them and encourage them so that they can find their God-given talent, whether it's a painter or to sew or to sing or to work in a certain vocation or an artist or a musician or a, a marathon runner or whatever. That's a God-given talent, and you encourage that. And as I sponsor you and I recognize your talents, I try to point you in a direction of service where you will be of service rather than a deterrent to service. This idea that I'm going to take a newcomer who's full of character defects and make him the secretary of a meeting so the meeting goes crazy because it's got a leader that has no clue on what's going on so that that guy will grow is insane. You haven't taken the second step if you take a person that you know is screwed up and put them in a position that's going to affect the whole group. That's why you make a group strong is because you know who's in good character uh, defect zone, and you can say, Saturday morning, I always tell the leader of the Saturday morning meeting, look in the audience and see who out there you know is in a good place today, and call on them. Don't call on somebody you know was just in the parking lot yelling at somebody. We don't want to hear it at the podium. Call and on somebody in, you know that's in a good place. And being involved in service is the fourth tradition, except when to affect AA or Al-Anon as a whole. It might affect your home group as a whole. That's happened to our group in this last year. Being in service does not mean you're somebody. Being of service means you're in good God consciousness and you can be a good representative of your group. Okay? 
How hard do you encourage a sponsoree to add meetings? When do you stop asking? Well, I tell people that I sponsor that uh, don't just, if you go to one meeting a week, you're wasting your time. You don't get this on osmosis. If you go on to two meetings a week, I can uncomfortably maintain. But if I go to three or more meetings a week, I can grow. And that's what I expect out of the people I sponsor. If they don't want to do that, they got the wrong sponsor. I don't play. Bottom line, I don't play. And I don't sit on my ass in here and I always have somebody that's a newcomer in my life going through the steps. Last night, um, Libby and those women came to my room. I was tired as hell. All I wanted to do was go lay down and try to go to sleep. I'd been traveling and the whole bed up all day talking the whole enchilada and they came to my room and stayed there till 10.30. When they walked in my room, you know what? I came alive because I love giving this thing away. Tradition 5 says each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. And the last thing it says in Tradition 5 is, years later, this thought I, tough Irish customer liked to say, my sponsor sold me on the idea, and that was sobriety. At that time, I couldn't have bought anything else. Now, one of the things that I understand about sponsoring, and I'm just sharing what I do and what you can learn and take from it, is that I feel like I'm a cheerleader. When somebody's trying to get this thing, I like to sell it. I like to be a cheerleader. And I, and I try to sell them on the idea of sobriety by saying, that's good for your sobriety, that's not good for you. If you don't want that from me, if, if, if people sitting here right now, if I sponsor them, if you don't want that from me, that's who I am. If you don't want that from me, you're not going to get nothing from me. I don't have anything else to offer. That's what my God-given talent is, is to encourage people who are trying to get sober, stay sober, and improve their life as a result of this program. If you call me up and say, I don't have nothing to say, see you later. If you call up and say, everything's good, everything's all, all this stuff, you're not going to get that from me. You're getting nothing from me. And you're wasting your time. I don't have to sponsor a bunch of people in order to stay sober, but I have to sponsor some people. And I try to sponsor the people who want what I have. If you're not getting what I have to give you, go somewhere else. Don't delay your pain. This is not a debating society. That's where we were before we got here. This is about being happy, joyous, and free. And where do we find that? In those steps. It's like the third tradition in Alcoholics Anonymous says the only requirement for AA membership is the desire to stop drinking. That also applies to Al-Anon. If you don't have a desire for recovery, I don't know how many women I've told in just the last few months, ask your sponsoree, why are they here? What do they want? If they're telling you, I don't have to do this and I don't have to do that, why are they coming here? One of the things that people think, it's a, it's a mystic, elusive lie. You do not have to get a sponsor in Dog on a Roof to be a member of Dog on a Roof. If you think that's true, you're lying to yourself. That has never been true. The thing that has been a guideline is, if you're in Dog on the Roof, you should have a sponsor. 
I've had sponsors out of Dog on a Roof for years. And there's people, and I can't go outside and get somebody. No, you can go outside and get somebody. But if you go get somebody and bring them here and it disrupts our group, both of you can go. I've never had a sponsor come to this group of all the sponsors I've had who have been out of this group for years and years and years who came to my home group and disrupted my group by going against me. We had that happen over here the other night when there was a guy here with 50 years and a guy that seldom here came here and wanted to brag about that guy with 50 years having qualities that our group don't have. And I stood up and said, I've been here every day. I've been here all the time. I've changed you newcomers' diapers, and I've wet-nursed you when you were come off the bottle and went on to insanity. And that guy hasn't. So I stood up for my group. I stood up for my time. But I, I talked to that guy. But he's not better than me and my group, and he's not going to cause disorder in my group. My group is my lifeline. But you don't have to have a sponsor in our group. I, people, I, I gotta marry somebody in our group. What give you that idea? <laughs> what you're gonna do is you're gonna get married and it's gonna go to shit and then you're gonna bring your group. You can count on that, but we got big shoulders. But you don't have to pick somebody in the group. You're open to pick anybody you want. You're open to run your head into the wall out there. Let there me, are no rules here. Let me tell you something. If you're over 18 years old, Grow up. Okay? There's one last question I really want to cover. If your sponsoree has not called you in a while, is it okay to call them and how often? If your self-esteem is that low that you need to call that sponsoree, can I have a call time with you? Jesus Christ. Part of sponsorship that's essential is to take an undisciplined individual and give them a criteria of accountability that they can follow. A simple thing. I'm going to, if you want to be with me, I'm going to be at this meeting and I'll be there at six o'clock because we meet, we eat at six and it starts at seven. If you want me to sponsor you and you want me to help you and you say, can I have a call time? And I will say, yes, you can. Well, when can I call you? Then what you should do is give yourself a time each day and try to get a hold of me. If you can, that's your call time. I'm not going to tell an unmanageable idiot to call me at 10 o'clock because they can't do it. If you're not willing to find a phone and pick up that phone and call somebody you ask to help you, then you don't want help. You don't even need help. And using the excuse I work is not an excuse. I worked until five years ago, four years ago. I knew when to get a hold of my sponsor, and I knew that I could get my ass up out of my chair and go call my sponsor. You know how I knew that? Because I was 60-some years old. I grew up. I become mature. My life's not unmanageable anymore. 
I don't let one thing in my life dominate my life. I am an Al-Anon, and my program comes first no matter where I'm at, and it will always come first. I think that when we get ideas, there's a negative disease, and when we feed ourselves negative ideas, I get ideas, and they're negative ideas, and I know they're negative ideas. I can feel they're negative ideas. I can tell they're not healthy. That's when I need to talk to my sponsor and say, I'm thinking about doing this. Most people think that way, and then they act on it. Then they call their sponsor and say, can you get me out of this mess? That's the, the average, above average of facts. The idea is to be communicative enough with somebody that's ahead of you, that has experiences, that you can ask that question before you act on it. I remember one time I had a sponsor who needed, needed help with taxes, and I had a tax man, and I told him about my tax man. And so he went to my tax man, and my tax man was, you know, had the vow of secrecy. He's a client. He's not going to tell me about my sponsor, but he saw my sponsor's financial condition. And so I go to my tax man, and I said to my tax man, you know, this guy, and my tax man, he's not an alcoholic, but he read the book, and I said, you know, this guy is kind of like a mentor. He's kind of like a, uh, uh, an advisor, you know, and it helped me. And I said to the tax man, that guy wants me to sell my house in Yorba Linda and move to Long Beach. And my tax man said, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Matter of fact, I wouldn't do anything that guy asked you to do. His life is a mess. I can't imagine why you would think he could help you. And he was right. Thank God I didn't sell out and move to Long Beach. Really. See? So I went to somebody that had the information. See? And could tell me the truth. That tax man also told me that some of the people that I sponsored, that I sent to that tax man, and, and their life was just unmanageable and they couldn't pay bills and they couldn't handle anything. And that tax man said to me, I, you know, I've done these people's taxes for several years. And you say you're their sponsor and you're supposed to be helping them? And I say, yeah, and I can't understand why their life is so unmanageable and they're years sober and they can't pay their bills, they can't do this and they can't do that. And the tax man said to me, he said, Keith, those people, if they had never taken a drink, their life would still be unmanageable. Alcohol did not cause them to be idiots. Alcohol did not cause them to be irresponsible and not pay their bills. They would have been that way if they had never taken a drink. Probably they drank and their situation got worse, but they're never going to be responsible. They're never going to pay their bills right. They're never going to be able to handle money, ever. They're just not that way. A tax man told me that. An expert who had seen their books. He didn't divulge personal information as to how much. He just told me some valuable information about these people that I need to not worry about it anymore. I can't fix it. See? And that's what I've had to learn is that I can't fix all the problems. I'm learning too. 
The steps are there for me. I have to work a tenth step on the people I sponsor. I read Al-Anon information. I read Courage to Change. I read Al-Anon one day at a time books because I sponsor alcoholics. I don't go to Al-Anon meetings and whine about the alcoholics I sponsor. I read the Al-Anon, I read the Al-Anon literature because I listen and, and, and try to help people who won't let you help them. That's frustrating. Okay, after all of this, what I have to ask you, is, it, is there anybody that has a question about sponsorship at this point? Is there anything that we have not talked about that you still have doubts in your mind about or questions about? Come on, you guys. Now's the time anything. to do it. Please do. I mean, it's, it's, we're open for it. That's why we call it. You understand one of the things that I wanted to do this for is because I want people and I want myself to review the people I'm sponsoring, how I'm sponsoring, and let you understand I'm trying to change, I'm trying to understand, and I'm not going to rule over your demise. If you insist on destroying your life, I will not be the captain of your ship. Yesterday at that convention, they had a long-timers meeting, and it was from 27 years sobriety to 54 years sobriety. And they had eight people up there. And they had questions that came in from the audience. And they would ask different long-timers up there. And they asked the guy with 54 years the question, what does Alcoholics Anonymous do different for you today at 54 years sober than it did for you when you had 54 days sober? He goes, who is the SOB that wrote that question? I'm in Texas. He goes, that is the stupidest question I have ever heard. I'm still sober, you idiots. It does the same thing today it did when I was 54 days sober. It don't go away. It's the same disease. <laughs> I need it more now because I think I got my shit together. And I don't. And he said, I can't believe it. There's 750 idiots in this room. The important thing that I wanted to get across is that it seems where a lot of places we go, people are really into the book, really into reading that book with a newcomer or getting together as groups, a lot of groups where the, somebody sponsors several people, they get together and they read that book. They have a night, a week that they read that book. There wasn't one question asked today that the answer isn't in this book. Every one of the questions. The most important thing about questions in Ask It Baskets, they're personal questions to a human being. You ask me, a human being, a question. And when you ask that question, all the questions are directed from a human being to a human being. Where is God in this? Where is God in your question? Even the Where question, is your recovery in the well, question? Even the question is, how does I turn my will and my life over? Are you sober? Are you in this room? Are you willing to be here where there's recovery? Then God's here. I can assure you, God is in this room. Not everybody in this room is in God consciousness, but a lot of people are. And that's why it is a, a we're able to teach you something, to give you something. You're, resp you're receptive. 
You may not understand it. You may not be at the same place where we are. But understand, we're trying to give you something. We're trying to tell. We're trying to sponsor the group by saying, you're not in that book. You're not one-on-one. You're a group of people that are cooking together and working on the stuff at the shop together and making banners together. But where's the book? Where is that book? Where is the answer? And if you got time and you're sitting in this room and you're not working with newcomers or taking somebody through those steps, shame on you. I'm going to tell you something. This group has gone through a lot of complacency and Andy and Cindy moved away. And they have grown. They have been forced to grow because they can't use the group as their cushion anymore. They're out there on their own over in Las Vegas. They gotta rely on their own recovery. Not your recovery. Not anymore. And that's what happens in a big group of people, is that you can sit in a group of people and become complacent as hell. And I'll, and Cindy sponsors a lot more people over there. She only sponsored one person when she was here. And she asked me questions about sponsoring all these people, and people over there say, she sponsors all these people, it's so great. And I go, but when she was in California, she didn't do that. You don't have to move to do that. No, you don't. You gotta move your ass next to sitting next to a newcomer. You gotta move your ass into standing face to face with a newcomer. You gotta go to meetings where there's newcomers and not wait for somebody else to bring a newcomer to your home group and then snatch him and say, I got a new baby. I'll tell you what changed my observation. What changed? Uh, Andy went over there and Matt went over there and Dan went over there. And Andy was out of a job here. He went over there. He had a place to go. I was his sponsor. I supported him. He had trouble finding a job. He finally found a job. He worked on that. He stayed there. He went to meetings. I watched him go to meetings. I took him to meetings where I went. And and people would call on him. Now, Andy said over here, for how long were you sober? Ten years before you left here? Nine? When I left here? Yeah. Sixteen. Huh? Sixteen. Sixteen years. And he only talked every once in a while in his home group and every once in a while on Saturday morning. He could talk anytime he wanted. He could have raised his hand and shared anytime he wanted to. But he was complacent by saying, if I talk once a month, they've heard all I got to say, I guess. But he goes over there and all of a sudden people are calling on him. And he's talking good AA because he had 16 years of good teaching. And he feels good about himself because he's sharing good AA in those meetings. When he started sharing those meetings, newcomers were attracted to him. And he felt good about himself. He went and found a step house and, and went over there and started reading the book on Sunday night. Reading the book. And I didn't go with him. I, I just encouraged him to do that. And what he got was the confidence in his, in his job. And he got confidence in his relationship. He was engaged to Cindy, and Cindy moved over there. I'm going to move over there. You're over there. I love you. We're going to go over there. What that gave him was the courage to get married, to buy a house. And we walked with him along that whole thing. We introduced him to meetings. All the while during that, Andy had no job. I don't know how many times I went down the road with him when he said the only answer is bankruptcy. And I said, I don't think so. Wait one more day. And one more day. And he built his confidence. He worked harder. He got his job going. 
His lady came over there because she trusted him, and, she, and they got married, and they bought a house. Who can, how can you explain how you can get married, work, make good money, buy a house when you're on the verge of bankruptcy all the time? His idea was he was on the verge of bankruptcy all the time. My idea is I can see something better for you. Believe me. I'm trying to tell you people here in this group. There's something better for you than sitting on your ass in here, complacent, thinking this is all there is. Life's bankruptcy. You don't have to move. You have to get up and do something. And cutting back on anything in this program is not growth. Meetings, working with others, cutting back is not growth. When I eliminated four people that I sponsored, you know what? I got four newcomers. In... Three years, I have taken 18 women through the steps in Las Vegas. I don't know where some of them are, but I sure do know what it did for me. In three years, I've tried to sponsor 18 alcoholics who've all got pissed off at me and went somewhere and talked crap about me, and none of them would work the steps. So she's had fantastic success, and I've had total failure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but we both work with people. We, that's the key. The thing is, we're okay. It's like Bill said, everybody's drunk. And Lois said, you're not. She's has all this. I got a, I got jealous. Why can't I get somebody over here to ask me to sponsor them and they do good? I'm a total failure. I have zero other than Andy. Dan came back and Matt's over there running around crazy somewhere. But he's working the program and he's working. <laughs> he's like got that. a girlfriend. And she's better than what you saw last night. What I'm telling you is you can't judge it by that. The, the God thinks she's doing great. And I'm saying, come on, girl, go, girl, go, get them going. And I'm over here in the trenches going around and I'm saying, man, that guy's so sick I can't even talk to him. But he I'm works with some real sickos. What I found out was that I was complacent sitting here. When I went over there and I sat in those meetings, I wasn't the speaker. I wasn't the captain of the ship. I wasn't the old-timer. I was just an alcoholic. And what I found out when I went over there, I found out that I had been sitting here so rigid, so structured, uh, of myself, by myself, that it's sobriety, sobriety, sobriety. And when I went somewhere else and sat in another meeting, I found myself going, oh, God, that's funny. Wow, man, that's funny. Said, Wait a minute, where would that come from? And I went somewhere else, and somebody else is doing something, telling a story. And I'm going, oh, man, that's, that's funny, man. And it dawned on me, by simply making an attitude change, I got my sense of humor back. Because I had sat here and ground myself into this, oh, every day it's the same people. The same thing, the same stuff, and hang on to your sobriety. Right in my home group. I fought, sponsored five ladies over there. They wanted to start a Gatawana group over there in Las Vegas, just like we have here, and we did. And they're going to have, what, three years in October? Last October, they had two years anniversary celebration of the Gatawana group in Las Vegas, Nevada. None of the five women were there. But there's 20 other women there. And Cindy's part of that. 
Cindy's part of that. We don't do it to count our success rate. What I do when I have to find out about myself, I go to my sponsor, and the thing that's helping me develop a sense of humor is that I'm laughing with my sponsor. I'm telling him things, and we're laughing about things. I'm laughing with my sponsor, and I'm laughing with these people, and my sense of humor came back. Life is not that serious. It is not a constant heart attack. I even got physically to the point that I'm counting the days I'm going to live. And I went to a doctor, and the doctor says, oh, you probably live a long time. I said, what? What? Oh, you probably live a long time. Take care of yourself. I said, what? I ran home. I said, I may live a long time. Oh. <laughs> and Eric, Eric said over there today, he said, how long was your dad, how, was he, how long was he alive when he died? 89. How long was your grandpa? 87. Well, you're probably going to live a long time. But because I got myself in a frame of mind and I'm around people that only want to pull you down, I'm dying. I'm dying. I have to get my head out of my ass. I did. Yeah. To laugh. You see, we're laughing about it. Isn't that funny? But how easy it is. How easy it is that 30 minutes ago, people were just sitting there, oh, God, they're talking about shit I can't do. If you're riding on somebody else's recovery, you're in the wrong boat. This is not a prison. This is not a cult. Even though uh, Charlie Sheen says we're a barefoot, barefoot cult. I'll tell you what's wrong with his statistics. He said 5%, and we're the 1%. He told Lindsay Lohan that her problem was she could not fight her compulsions. You have to learn how to control your compulsions. And so the newscaster called Lindsay Lohan and said, what do you think about that? She said, I'm going to be really pissed if he, if he outlives me. <laughs> okay. All right, let's, let's do a closing prayer.